This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. Coming up this weekend, we have the Premier League title race as well as the, the race in Ligue 1 and elsewhere. Many games actually available too for the U20 World Cup uh, on Fox Sports, all available through Sling. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, uh, since uh, last week, there's been a lot going on in the world of uh, soccer, especially for us here in in the United States. One of the topics I want to talk about, I'm going to jump right into this, is the USL. USL has announced a Super League. Uh, USL is called USL Super League. It's a women's league, and they've announced plans to launch a 10 to 12 team league beginning in 2024. The women's league will play on the international calendar, i.e., the fall to the summer, and aspires to be a global leader in women's football. Meanwhile, Octagon has been hired to manage the USL Super League's media rights sales process. So, Kartik, the league intends to to launch as a first division league in direct competition with NWSL. Uh, the, the USL Super League will follow US soccer's sanctioning process in order to be sanctioned as a D1 league. So I'm going to jump right in, Kartik, uh, to get your reaction, but also to find out from you in terms of your analysis. And, and obviously, you watch NWSL very, very closely running a weekly column for worldsoccertalk.com in addition to following the women's game and, of course, I mean, the politics and soccer wars, uh, author of soccer wars uh, in the United States. Um, how likely do you think it is that uh, U.S. soccer may sanction USL Super League as a first division women's league? Yeah, th- this is a really interesting question because the D1 standards for women's leagues are kind of similar to the D2 standards for men's leagues. There's some uh, some differences there, but mostly they're closer to the D2 standards for men's leagues. So if you look at the initial markets that uh, USL has picked for the uh, for the Super League, they're uh, uh, Washington, D.C., where there is an NWSL team, an existing NWSL team that plays at Audi Field. Uh Tampa, which is a Tampa St. Petersburg, which is a D1 size market. Phoenix, which is a D1 size market. Dallas Fort Worth, which is a D1 size market with an MLS club, but no uh, NWSL club. Uh, and Charlotte, which is a market where both USL and, and, and MLS have men's uh, sides, and that's a D1 level market. But then they pick Lexington, Spokane, and Tucson which are D2, and in the case of Lexington, maybe arguably a D3 level men's market where they're intending to put a D1 uh, women's club. Uh, Lexington, not far from Louisville, uh, which uh, not far from Cincinnati either, but not far from Louisville where there's a really successful NWSL side and a very successful USL uh, men's side. So those are interesting calls. Um I, I think it's also going to be very interesting to see where they expand on the list uh, included on, um, in, in their initial release were Chattanooga, uh, Indianapolis, Jacksonville. And I, I would um, mention, especially for you, Chris, because you live in St. John's County, I believe this team will play in St. John's County, not in uh, Duval, not in Jacksonville proper. Madison and Oakland. Oakland is a market where... Uh, there is probably going to be competition with NWSL as they expand to the San Francisco Bay Area. So uh, an interesting uh, set, uh, bunch of markets. I think the, the the key thing here is in most of these places, USL has men's teams. There are some exceptions, but in most of these places, they have men's teams. And it's uh, expanding the, the, the landscape of women's soccer, which has been... Um, at the NWSL level, really kind of proprietary to a couple markets and until recently tied to where MLS had teams, which has always been, I think, an unfortunate thing for the women's game. Um, in, in the past, past D1 women's leagues would go to places like Atlanta and St. Louis that did not have um, men's teams or, or first division men's teams there at the time. But recently, it seems like it's been more pegged. Uh, some exceptions, Louisville and San Diego, but more pegged to to MLS markets. The D1 move is huge, and I think 
as I, as I said, it's more like a D2 men's league in terms of standards. So it's a standard they can meet. I know people reacted, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, reacted uh, Tuesday morning like, oh my goodness, you know, how can they reach that standard? The standard is actually different on the women's side per the published, the last set of published pro league standards. Now, the way U.S. soccer operates, these could always change. They may move the bar uh, if they want to uh, make it difficult for USL. We'll, we'll watch this space in the next year. But um, right now, I think it's a, it's a standard they can, they can meet. Yeah, this is fascinating. So, so whether you're into women's soccer or not, uh, this also has implications, uh, to me at least, uh, for MLS and, and USL. Because at the end of the day, Kartik, this feels like, yes, yes, it's great to have a new league in the United States, a new uh, women's soccer league. Uh, maybe it'll be sanctioned as a Division I uh, league in direct competition to NWSL. But to me, this is uh, also a land grab, right? This is USL looking at the United States going, okay, which markets uh, don't have uh, NWSL teams for the most part, except for that uh, you, you mentioned the DC as an example. But how can we go ahead and get into those markets, establish teams, um, get a foundation and build it from there? It's, in some ways, I feel it's like a, a chicken and an egg situation, though, Kartik, because, you I mean, is there enough demand for a second Division One women's soccer league in the United States? You mean, or do you have to build it and create it? Um, and, and in those markets, like, like you mentioned, Lexington, Lexington may have like a really kind of uh, passionate soccer, women's soccer fan base, or you I mean, fans of women's soccer, uh, and just because it's in a D3 market, you look at, say, Orlando Pride in a D1 market in Florida, right? You know, massive massive uh, population in Orlando. But then you look at NWSL, the crowd, the attendances for those games, sometimes they're lucky to get about 5,000 fans. While Lexington, you mean, it might be a smaller market, but you could get maybe 5,000 to 10,000 fans if it's marketed really well. What, what, what's your take on this? I mean, is this? I mean, is there enough demand uh, in the United States to to basically, you mean, uh, kind of uh, give um, another women's soccer D one league? Could it make? Could it be a success? Yeah, I, I think it absolutely could be a success based on the sort of markets they go into. And, and again, I think one of the mistakes. NWSL has made, and I, I don't want to call it a mistake, but they've had, well, I do want to call it a mistake. They've had other mitigating circumstances, and it, and it really is a wonder that that league is still operating, given everything that's happened the last few years uh, from an uh, off-the-field standpoint. But I think the mistake they've made is they've looked almost strictly at MLS markets. Again, Louisville, San Diego are exceptions, but San Diego, a market where I think there's always been a feeling MLS would expand there. And there is a USL team already. There's a NISA team. And there is a huge amount of support for, for Zolos, right? A number of people who cross the border every match day to go to see a Liga Amecki side. So that may have been a safer pick. They have not looked at some of these places that USL's talking about where uh, Chattanooga, Madison, those sorts of markets, which I think are places in general where soccer does better uh, relative to the size of the market and the competition in the entertainment landscape. Now, again, our data points are all on the men's side, so there could be an argument, oh, well, it won't translate to the women's side. But I, I think we've seen uh, in the past that the women's game has done particularly well in places that maybe there isn't uh, an existing uh, men's uh, uh, club infrastructure or there isn't an MLS team. And I think uh, uh, in spite of kind of the setbacks for North Carolina the last year or two, uh, that has a lot to do with what's happened off the pitch also. That was a market that stood out as, okay, they were able to take the energy from the college soccer and youth soccer ecosystem in the Raleigh-Durham area, the Triangle area. And channel that towards massive support for a first division professional women's team. I think that is possible around uh, the country. And if you look at Lexington and Madison, let's let's focus on those two. Those are college towns. Those are towns where there is already a major support infrastructure for college soccer 
and youth soccer based around those uh, those uh, uh, college programs. USL has gone into both cities and established third division men's teams that have been successful. So I, I think they have a real good shot at this because they're very strategic in where they're picking their markets. Whereas, uh, just to finish the point on NWSL, Chris, I think in a lot of cases, NWSL picked markets where they had big name investors that were willing to come forward and, and, and invest in a team. And in many cases, they were tied to who invested in the men's teams in, in those markets in MLS. Uh, we're seeing a similar thing now with USL, where I, I, there are ties to USL men's teams. Although, it should be noted, last point on this, there are two uh, uh, USL ownership groups, uh, uh, Louisville and North Carolina, USL men's ownership groups that have teams in NWSL. So that's that's pretty significant that those teams, uh, maybe if you're thinking about this from a long-term perspective, that those those ownership groups see, seem at least for now invested in staying in NWSL and not jumping to a competing D1 league, which is part of a larger league system where they already have men's teams. And in the case of North Carolina, they also have a USL League 2 team and um, and academy teams in the USL infrastructure So uh, on the men's side. Uh, so they uh, are sticking with NWSL on the women's side, at least for now. Yeah, I think it, I think this is a, a shot across the bow from USL to Major League Soccer in many ways, right? And and and, and of course NWSL because NWSL the way it's structured, uh, you mean kind of in terms of single entity, uh, in terms of the calendar, in terms of the way that they present themselves is is very MLS like, and and there's a lot of pros and cons to that. USL on the other side, in terms of the way that they operate, is is similar to MLS, but but with this USL Super League, uh, it is quite different in terms of even the calendar, right? The the, the fall to summer calendar. Uh, also, they're talking about having kind of a pathway from the youth team on the women's side all the way through to the professional side. Um, so far, what USL is saying makes a lot of sense and, and is going to carry a lot of weight uh, in regards to that. That's really important, Chris, your point. Two points. Obviously, the international calendar, those who listen to this podcast or read my articles know I'm a big advocate of that. I'm glad USL is doing that. Your second point, though, is even bigger because you NWSL to me, and in fact, as, as you mentioned, I'm writing a weekly column for World Soccer Talk, and I've had to sometimes relearn where some of these players are because they're moved around so much within that single entity league. And, and, and uh, some of these players were big stars on one so team. Now they're on another. They're on uh, their U.S. Uh, women's national team players, so they they were allocated players, etc. Uh, I think that uh, there's a disconnection between NWSL and the rest of the game, women's game in this country, even though it's at the top and it's the established first division and they've got a great national television deal on CBS and uh, almost every U.S. women's national team player plays in that league. There is a absolute disconnect between that league and the rest of what's going on in women's soccer. So at least the way USL has described this uh, program and this project and from talking to uh, I've talked to some W League owners. W League is the existing um sort of amateur slash adult uh, women's league that USL manages. Uh, they they do believe this. They believe, okay, our teams are going to be connected in a pyramid to the Super League teams, and this is going to allow our clubs, our academies, uh, and, and, and the connected youth systems to thrive. And there's actually going to be a pyramid built, which is not the case now with NWSL. So that is a really, really important point, it, particularly if you're a parent uh, of, of an aspiring women's soccer player. Uh, there might be a, a direct pathway for you uh, now, which wasn't available in the last uh, in, in the past. That's interesting. Yeah. The other thing about this, too, I think uh, USL has been really smart about the way that they're uh, branding this. It's USL Super League, right? It sounds I mean, similar to uh, the FA Women's Super League, but it does sound big. It does sound bold. It does sound something like, wow, USL Super League versus NWSL which is supposed to be going through a rebrand and is potentially going to have a new name. Uh, and with NWSL, there's been a lot of scandals and bad press over the last 12 to 18 months. So, um, I mean, on paper, USL Super League sounds like it's very attractive. sounds like it's saying all the right things, uh, is going into 
uh, go into, into markets that have been underserved, uh, some good opportunities for women's soccer teams to thrive in those areas, uh, including Jacksonville, like you mentioned, uh, from, from my neck, neck of the woods and, and other cities too. So uh, yeah, it's, it all sounds good. So it sounds like it's moving in the right direction and, uh, it sounds positive to me. Is that what, what would you see as the competitive level of what USL Super League uh, could be? Uh, compared to NWSL Kartik, is there an opportunity here to bring in players from the college system and kind of integrate them into, into the USL Super League and, and kind of see some stars coming up that, that way? How, how would, I mean, it's hard to compare it, right, right now because we don't know, uh, the details, but is, is there an opportunity here for USL, USL Super League to compete really, I guess, across television and streaming with, uh, NWSL? Yeah, I think that there's a real opportunity to compete. The one uh, caveat I'd have on this is I think the the number of national team players from Canada, the U.S., and uh, Mexico that are uh, comfortable with staying in NWSL is probably going to make it a slower build. But I think that there are so many good players. I mean, in fact, I mean, it's hard to question this, Chris, because the U.S. keeps winning major trophies, right? They've won four World Cups. They've won the last two Women's World Cups uh, after a spell where they didn't win a few in a row. Three uh, three in a row were won by other countries. But I, I feel like from watching NWSL the last several seasons, there are so many good players that are Americans that do not necessarily get national team looks or national team caps very often. Uh, they, they, they'll get called in occasionally. They're not making the same salary as the U.S. women's national team players. I know from my own reporting there has been tension within the league, within the players in the league, uh, uh, about uh, U.S. WNT players being on these large subsidized contracts and non-designated uh, national team players making much, much less money. Now, this season, that seems to have been corrected a little bit, but I think there is still an opportunity for USL Super League to poach a number of those what you would call tier two or tier three players who do occasionally get called into the national team and who on any given uh, NWSL weekend but might be a better uh, better player uh, than than the star national team player. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to mention this because maybe this is going to get us a lot of nasty mail in the mailbag. But uh, if you look at Alex Morgan, who I think is the most famous women's soccer player, at least in the United States, and is, is maybe the one soccer player that's American right now that's a mainstream sports figure. She uh, is not, uh, from year to year, as influential an NWSL attacking player as any number of other people in that league who, who are less, uh, less uh, um, uh, successful on the national team level. Now, I think the reason Alex Morgan is who she is is because as an international, she's basically a goal a game scorer. Right. Um, but she's 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 basically been a better international than club team player. So I think they're players, uh, not necessarily Lynn Williams, but but other players like that who have who are uh, attacking players who've been more successful historically in NWSL. I, I would think of the recently retired Amy Rodriguez as one in the past uh, that maybe didn't uh, w- w- would eventually gravitate to this league if they paid them more money. So um I think that there is a lot of potential. Now, still, your bigger stars will probably stay in NWSL, at least for the foreseeable future or whatever NWSL is rebranded as, which I think is a challenge. But maybe uh, when you talk about international stars, Chris, it's very different. Uh, And maybe you're in a position where USL... Uh, and this this might go back to the Paul McDonough hiring last week by uh, 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 by USL. Very good contacts abroad in terms of player acquisitions. Maybe this is where you you see some of the European stars who uh, maybe are not on uh, great salaries in Europe. I think the 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 uh, women's Super League is an exception, right? They pay great salaries, at least for their top players in in England. But some of the players from France or Germany or Italy. Or Spain, you could see uh, uh, gravitate to the, to this USL league. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and there's also, I mean, in terms of destinations for them to go to, you mean in Chattanooga or other some of these cities are great cities to live in. So it might be kind of a uh, kind of a, a lifestyle choice, like wanting to to instead of living in. California, right? Um, with the, you I mean, the smog and the traffic and you might want to go to some markets and, and be the star player in, in that city. 
one last thing about this, Kartik, is that um, with the USL Super League, of course, it's still early days. I, I could envision this being a good fit for ESPN+. Plus having um, more women's soccer content and having games available through streaming. Uh, NWSL currently on CBS Sports. And what I'm hearing from a lot of my sources is that NWSL is not that happy with CBS Sports and has been talking to other broadcasters about possibilities of, of moving NWSL in the future to, to another broadcaster. Uh, there have been a lot of reported uh, issues. I mean, we've seen it. You've seen it with CBS coverage uh, not working on Paramount Plus or streams not being, being available. Uh, definitely a lot of technical difficulties. Hopefully most of those have been ironed out. But um what what about NWSL? I mean, what do you think in terms of what they should be doing and what how they should be thinking about uh, television and, and streaming? And you I mean, should they look elsewhere outside of CBS? I wouldn't. I mean, I think CBS is now a destination viewing for soccer fans across the country. The launch of the Golasa Channel and Morning Footy have just added to that perception. Uh, their acquisition of U.S. of some U.S. Open Cup matches have been has been widely uh, received, well received. So I think NWSL has a good partner, a partnership that was originally negotiated by Octagon, by the way, who now is advising uh, the USL Super League. I, I think you mentioned it earlier, right? That they're they're involved yep. in the media rights process for for USL uh, so for for the Super League, which uh, uh, means that USL will probably find itself a good partner. Their men's leagues obviously are on ESPN. Uh, we just had a, a men's game, Miami FC and Louisville, uh, on uh, ESPN2 the other night. I think NWSL needs to stay the course in terms of their TV product. For the first time this season, all the matches are on Paramount+. Plus. In the past, you had these occasional matches on Twitch, uh, Copa 90, all of these, uh, is that what it was called? Copa 90? Uh, Co- or Go 90, uh, whatever it was called. Go 90, yeah. Go 90, yeah. They had, uh, the, they would have one or two matches that weren't on Paramount Plus, which annoyed me, uh, personally, when, when I was trying to find NWSL matches the previous few years. And, uh, I, a lot of times if it was on Twitch, I just wouldn't bother, right? So, uh, this weekend was great, for example, just from a TV viewing standpoint. I think I commented to you on this personal, uh, privately, Chris, that, uh, the staggered kickoffs, which they normally don't have in NWSL, but they did this weekend, I think because of Mother's Day, allowed me to watch all six matches in, in their entirety, which is something I haven't been able to do, I don't think, ever uh, since that league began, or at least since that league expanded to 12 teams. So um, that's actually uh, something that I think they're working with CBS on in terms of kickoff times, very different than what MLS is doing with, with season pass. Uh, and maybe... It's not so good because, as you mentioned, NWSL, the attendances aren't always very good. They aren't great. Uh, But from a TV standpoint, I I do like what they're doing. I do like uh, the level of of commentator they have. Uh, Orlando, New York, the other day was... uh, uh, was JP Della Camera on the mic? Uh, we've had Jackie Oatley on the mic for for a number of matches this season, so I do like what they're doing media wise. But this presents a challenge for them because I think USL Super League will probably get a good partner. It probably will be ESPN, which I think we all know this, and this is something MLS is learning perhaps the hard way this year. When you're in the ESPN ecosystem, uh, there are more eyeballs on you potentially than when you're not in the ESPN ecosystem. Well, that's a perfect segue because we want to talk about uh, Major League Soccer and the big news that uh, World Soccer Talk broke on uh, Saturday morning, which is that uh, MLS Season Pass is now offering a one-month free trial. And you can use that any time between now and the end of October. So if you want to pick when you want to have that free month, uh, you can go to worldsoccertalk.com for more details. As far as I know, it's only available in the U.S., but it is a big change because this is uh, something they haven't done. Uh, yes, the first couple of weeks, I think all of the games were available to watch for free, but it wasn't really a, a free trial. It was uh, you could just, you mean, with an Apple ID, sign in and and watch whatever games you want to. But this this is a one month free trial to go ahead and dive into all of the content and see if you mean if you're interested in in moving forward with the subscription or if you want to go ahead and cancel it. But that option is there. So you you were speaking about staggered uh, kickoff times with NWSL and and how that's uh, a great way to kind of watch more games. I I think things have hit ahead <laughs> with Major League Soccer. The last week I've gotten so much feedback, so much 
uh, discussion really um, from MLS fans uh, or fans of MLS clubs where they're just like kind of now by this point in the season sick and tired of not being able to watch uh, many games live. So with most of the games being at 7.30 local time uh, on Saturday nights, you mean if you're at a game and you watch the 7.30 to 9.30 game, uh, whichever time zone that is, chances are you might be able to get back home maybe and watch one live game uh, or maybe there's one, sometimes there's one on a Sunday, you might be able to watch that game too. So the criticism, the feedback from a lot of uh, fans uh, out there is that they're getting sick and tired of uh, having all the games or most of the games on Saturday Saturday nights. I think personally it's a good thing. Um, but again, I'm looking at it as a neutral. I'm looking at it as somebody who isn't in an MLS market, who's just watching Saturday night nights soccer and just trying to see what good stuff there is available there. Kartik, what's what's your what's your feedback? What's your opinions or analysis about MLS? The fact that MLS is now offering a one month free trial. What does that say to you? It's pretty damning that they've uh, of, of two months in, two and a half months into this, that they've had to take that step. It's something you would normally offer on the front end if you were really confident about uh, the product. Uh, and, and 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 hooking people if if you had thought that there uh, that that it might be incentivize signups or you do at the very end of a season uh, with a slash rate and say okay uh, uh, it's the playoff push it's September uh, sign up one month free trial and and, uh, 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 and and go from there the fact that this is happening in May the timing is very is very uh, I think telling. We can only infer because we don't know the actual numbers, but we can only infer that there are problems, which we have heard for a number of weeks. In addition, um, your point about uh, – or we just talked about the staggered kickoff times. In addition, that conversation, as you mentioned, has reached ahead this week where people are, are complaining uh, in, in, in a very open way. Uh, and and we saw it in in a pro soccer wire piece uh, it's part of the USA Today Gannett Network uh, about the the unhappiness about this. Now I had actually thought it was a good business decision, so I have to I have to stick by that uh, what I said before the season that MLS wants to synchronize kickoffs because it's easier for consumers in local markets to know when the games are so that they can buy tickets and attend the game. Uh, so that's a very attendance driven thing. But the reality is, and as that article indicates in all of uh, the sourcing you and I have done, Chris, and reporting we've done, uh, it, it is not working for uh, a media product. It is not working as a television product. In fact, it, it's damaging uh, the the incentive many fans had to watch MLS games outside of maybe their local club. And uh, it's in fact, turning, uh, uh, creating a situation where there's less awareness of what's going on around the league, I think, universally, nationally. So uh, I don't know what they're going to do about that also. I, I think it's, it's too late to resort that for this season. They're going to have to have a real rethink about this in the offseason and, and decide whether driving ticket sales is more important. Then they stick with it. Or if they need to start staggering kickoff times the way they used to be. I mean, MLS used to play all day Saturday, basically. There'd be an early kickoff, if you remember, that would overlap with uh, Bundesliga and Premier League matches and maybe kick off before some La Liga and Serie A matches. Um, they're not doing that anymore. No matter what MLS does, Kartik, <laughs> people go to complain. It's, it's just crazy. I mean, so like I can see the benefit if you're a, an MLS owner, right? And you own a, own a team in Dallas or Portland or wherever in the US, you're loving it, right? Every Saturday night, 7.30 local time for the most part, uh, games every Saturday night. It uh, creates a normalcy, kind of a routine, a rhythm so that you can sell more tickets so that you can tell your I mean, your uh, local community, hey, come back every other Saturday or whenever the games are, same time, same place for the most part. So it makes it easier to sell tickets to the stadiums. For the neutral soccer fans who live in the United States, um, who want to watch Saturday night soccer, this is perfect, right? There's, 
There's very the only other competition is Liga Mekis. So it's Liga Mekis versus for the most part versus Major League Soccer. So you got a choice of two different ones. You don't you're not competing against NFL, you're not competing against um the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga. If you're a soccer fan, you I mean it's pretty much Liga Mekis against uh MLS and you make the choice and if you're neutral, you'll watch it. MLS 360 still, I think it's fantastic. You watch it, you're entertained. Eh, sometimes, sometimes not. But it, you have a a window of time where there's very little uh, competition. Now, globally, that's a different story because globally, okay, there's 7:30 um, local time in the US kickoff times. If you're in Europe, it's after midnight. It's in the early hours of the morning. You mean depending where where you are in the world, it may work for you or may not work for you. But if MLS said, okay, you know what? We're going to respond to the fans and we're going to change things and we're going to stagger kickoff times and have games on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, you mean, and have maybe early Saturday, do it like we did last season or, or the last 10 years or so. Um, I don't think that's such a great idea. I mean, I, I don't think that's going to actually increase the number of subscribers to MLS season pass. Actually, some people might say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm, I mean, I just want to, I mean, some people will say, like like myself, I just want to watch on one Saturday night. I can carve away that time just for Major League Soccer rather than trying to, again, going back to, to uh, I mean, last year and, and previous years, being kind of in a sea of lost, uh, basically trying to figure out when that game is going to be on. Is it going to be on Saturday or, 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 or Friday or Sunday? Is it going to be, what time is it going to be? Is it going to be at 2.30? Is it going to be at 5.30? I mean, it takes all the confusion out. So it bottles it down. And yes, it's not a, a great fit for everyone. But again, I, I still think that the issue is not so much MLS season pass and Apple, but it's more so the league. And, you know, I mean, if this was the Premier League, Kartik, if this was every Saturday night, Premier League, 7.30 to, to midnight, it's not, it would never happen that way because of time zones, et cetera. But if it, if it happened that way, people would go out of the way to make it a priority. Yes, there would be some complaints, but people would embrace it and say, this is fantastic. We get to watch all these games on Saturday nights. We love it. It's fan. It's great. Um, I think a lot of this is, I mean, basically a lot of people just venting about this. It's not a good fit, but I, I think the free trial, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty damning, um, move because it does indicate without any numbers, but it does indicate that those numbers of subscribers are below expectations and that in order to go ahead and get people watching MLS season pass, we have to offer it for free and see what happens. My concern, Kartik, is, I mean, MLS has launched this this past weekend. What happens if soccer fans don't sign up for MLS Season Pass, even if it's offered for free? Um, I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think the, the fir- longer this goes on, Chris, we're scratching our heads, both of us and, and people who are analysts at the game and media analysts out there, because... Uh, Quite honestly, you can also feel that there is a lack of buzz about MLS in the greater soccer community this year, which has not been the case. I mean, as much as um, uh, pro-rel purists and and people who maybe are deridingly called Euro snobs – We'll say, oh, I don't care about MLS. There's no, uh, I, it doesn't, it doesn't exist in my world. The reality is, if you work in soccer, if you're around soccer, uh, whether you like MLS or not, it's always a hot topic of conversation, right? There's always more conversation about individual players, individual issues related to MLS. This season, it's been less, and I think there is a direct correlation with. Uh, the lack of success of this new media deal for them, uh, at least domestically. May, uh, who knows? Maybe they're doing great in foreign markets with, with with Apple having the penetration they do in some of those markets, and maybe uh, it, it being more accessible than than buying a, a Sky satellite dish in the UK, for instance. Right? Maybe it, maybe it's easier there. But in the United States, plainly, it, it's had a negative effect. I, I don't think we can have any. Uh, qualms about saying that. I don't think that that's a controversial statement. Now, what we can say is maybe the, there is a, a uh, ability to pivot 
and to make adjustments on the fly with a partner like Apple that you may not have with ESPN or Fox or or CBS or NBC to where they can tweak this, they can right-size it, they can do what they need to do to make it successful in future seasons. But right now, it, unfortunately, it, it's not going as uh, as well, anywhere near as well as hoped. Yeah, I think this is the, the I think this is the right decision by Major League Soccer. They should have made this on day one, right? Day one, uh, as soon as uh, MLS season pass launches, offer a free month, one month free trial, offer it to everyone, right? Make it make, make it available worldwide, one month free trial, and then go ahead. And for those people who are entertained, liked it, okay, they they continue the subscription. For those who it's not a good fit for, then it's like, eh, okay, maybe I'll come back to it. I mean, later in the year or, or next year. Uh, it is what it is. So I think MLS making this decision, albeit at the wrong time, right? Don't make it now, but they have to pretty much. I think it's the right decision because to me, having watched MLS season pass, um, every week, uh, and, and actually I think I mean, maybe I missed one week or two weeks because I was on vacation, but I've been watching it every, every weekend. To me, I, I think it's a, it's a good, good opportunity to introduce that show, MLS 360, and the whole MLS season pass experience to more soccer fans. Get it out there. Get as many people as, as possible watching it and consuming the content. And then see for it. You know, MLS will be able to see for themselves as well as Apple. Does it stick? Do people continue their subscriptions or are they not interested? And and if so, if they're not interested in subscribing, Why? Right. Do some surveys, do some communications, some focus groups, whatever it is. Find out why. I I think personally, even if you offer it for free, which there is for free, to me, I, I would wait. You I mean, so if I'm going, if I know I can get a free one month trial uh, and I haven't experienced MLS season pass thus far and it's now May and I know that offer is good until the end of October, I'm going to pick and choose when I can go ahead and do that free month trial. And I'll probably do it or I'll think about doing it during the Leagues Cup because I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be fun. This is going to be uh, a lot of hype. Stadiums are going to be packed. This is going to be really interesting. So maybe I'll do it in mid-July to to mid-August. However, (laughs) now we know that uh, Leagues Cup is in direct competition with the uh, Soccer Champions Tour. With some of the biggest teams in Europe uh, coming over, also Chelsea's here, Wrexham's here. You have teams from uh, La Liga here. You have Sevilla, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you have ma- massive competition. So then, for that free trial to MLS Season Pass, then you might say like, "Well, I'll watch some of the games on Univision. Maybe I'll wait till the playoffs, or maybe I'll wait till like September or October to do that free month trial." The, the issue is that to me, the bottom line issue is there's there's very few reasons. To subscribe now, there's there's no like major player or, or like you I mean other than LAFC and, and New England Revolution, which are, which are playing great. It's great to watch those those two teams, but the talent level is diluted. So to me, there's no massive reason where you like have that urge to say, okay, I'm going to subscribe right now to MLS Season Pass because they're offering it for free. Isn't it awesome? And and that that's the concern that I have. It's not so much about MLS Season Pass or Apple TV or the technology or the paywall, which are all concerns, all obstacles, but it's the product. And the product is the game at the end of the day and, and, and how it compares to other products from around the world. Now, we're getting closer to the end of the European seasons. So for some people, this is a good opportunity to continue watching soccer on a pretty regular basis. Well, Saturday nights. Um yeah, this is huge, Kartik. This is really, really big. I, I think at the at the end of the day, I think MLS completely overestimated how many people would sign up for MLS Season Pass when it launched. And I think this is an indication that uh, they were way off their mark in terms of – now they – I think they have a good feeling. They know the numbers. They see the, those, those numbers on a daily basis and see, have seen how it's dropped off from that initial kind of uh, – rise in the beginning of the season and and they see how few people are signing up yeah and i think in addition this is a continuation of mls's misreading of the market because they did this when they signed the deal the previous deal with univision espn and fox where they and this is again our reporting and i i know i've said this ad nauseum on this podcast but it's worth it's worth 
repeating at this moment that they had oversold where the numbers would be by 2022 when that deal ended to those media companies that signed the deal, partly because they were counting on expansion and saying, hey, once we go into Atlanta, once we go back into uh, South Florida, once we go into, uh, well, they didn't know about Austin at the time, but once we go into places like Charlotte and Nashville, uh, we're the, the, there's going to be all these new fans and that's going to move the TV numbers and we're going to be getting a million viewers a match. Now, what happened is those markets have been great for selling tickets, right? Uh, they, they, they're bringing in new fans of Austin FC and of Nashville and of Charlotte, but they're not, and Atlanta United most notably, but they're not MLS fans. They're not people who are going to watch the nationally televised games on ESPN or Fox in that previous contract. So the numbers were pretty stagnant. And then they're not people who are going to pay 79 or $99 a year, depending on which, uh, whether you're a subscriber to Apple already to watch uh, a league wide pass. So again, this continues a pattern of them overestimating their potential media profile nationally. And it's a, it's a decade long story. It's not something that just happened this off season. And that's the thing, though, too, right? We keep on hearing about how, from MLS mostly, but how um, MLS fans are skew a lot younger. You mean twenty somethings, very tech savvy. You mean so? So why are they not signing up, right? And what what's the issue here? But the the bottom line here too is that now that this MLS season pass free trial for one month is offered. MLS will know. MLS will look at those numbers and Apple will know. The two things that they'll know is how much interest is there in this league if it's offered for free? And the the second part of it is whether the fans value the regular season. Because to me and, and a lot of people out there, it's relatively meaningless until maybe like late June, early July, um, when it's kind of the race for the playoffs because 60% of the teams qualify for the playoffs. And I have to say, I watched uh, Morning Footy today for the first time in a while, and I was just shaking my head because there was a conversation about San Diego. San Diego going to be awarded an MLS franchise, and you had uh, Charlie Davis, Alexis Guerrero, and Susanna kind of like, oh, isn't this great? This is wonderful. This is such great news, a a new expansion team. And the only person there with any reasonable uh, objectivity was Nico Cantor. And Nico said, yeah, but you, you keep on adding teams, but the quality of the league keeps on getting diluted. It, it just it, it just weakens the overall, you mean, league itself in terms of, you mean, you watch games and, and, and there's a lot of bad teams in this league. <laughs> and I, I could go on for like an hour about that. But but I think I think that's part of it too, is that, you mean, that's the focus is that, you have a regular season that's relatively me- uh, meaningless and you have the playoffs with 60% of the teams qualify for the playoffs. So, so why should you watch? I, I mean, and, and if it's offered for free, are you going to watch? I, I, I think people should watch it. I think people should give it a chance, should try because the actual product, the way that they produce the games, the way that they do the technology in terms of offering the different commentators and the, the MLS 360 studio is incredible. The analysis is pretty decent. It's not the best, but it's pretty decent. Um, they are all in in terms of trying to, to create the best product possible for soccer fans. However, I don't think the, the product on the field is the best product for the viewer. So, so that, that's the issue. And I'm not sure if this is going to get worked out anytime soon. You know what I mean? This is a 10 year deal. This is the first year in. I'm I'm just wondering what MLS does. I mean, do they kind of do some knee jerk reactions and start giving doing things, staggering kickoff times? That's not going to fix the issue. You mean it, it? There's so many issues here, and this Apple deal really pinpoints a lot of the issues with this league. Is that it's not the product, it's not the television coverage. Yes, there are obstacles. But it's the league itself, the way it's structured. Why should people watch this league? And and they have to change. They have to change. Yeah, and and I think uh, uh, real quickly on the San Diego thing to just maybe tease a future discussion. Uh, it, it is the at this point the most successful NWSL market. We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about NWSL. Uh, there is a existing USL team which has put out a statement that they are not going away. There is an existing NISA team which is less of a factor. There is also a disproportionate number of fans. Uh, I can't stress this enough from knowing people in the San Diego area. Uh, 
disproportionate number of fans who have uh, uh, gravitated English language dominant fans. Okay, so let me make that point that have gravitated to Zolos and uh, are following Club Tijuana. And I don't, and are, are as in turn following Liga Mekis. Maybe they'll get really fired up about League's Cup uh, and, and maybe a potential derby in League's Cup, but I don't think they're necessarily going to uh, shift to the San Diego MLS team. So that's just from a market standpoint, something we can discuss down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I say have to change, I, I don't. I, I'm sure some of our listeners are probably saying like, "Well, Chris wants promotion and relegation in MLS. Um, it'd be nice. I don't think it would ever would happen. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't think it's going to happen. But it has to change in terms of the schedule. Doing a schedule that's that's more it makes more sense. Having a reason to to make the me- the regular season more meaningful. Restructuring it so it's not a carbon copy of the NFL or Major League Baseball, because Major League Baseball and NFL don't really have a global competition. You know I mean, it's not uh, not baseball fans are not wondering, OK, should I watch MLB this weekend or watch the European Baseball League, which has a completely different structure? MLS is in a situation where they are in competition against the Premier League, Liga Mackies, Bundesliga, you name it. All the different leagues from around the world, which are more accessible than ever before, that's who their competition is. So by MLS having this American sports structure in place it doesn't make any sense because, I mean, casual fans are not being attracted to MLS. The mainstream America, for the most part, is not. Now, they're going to the games on Saturday nights and having a great, great time. But the real opportunity here is to improve this league on a international and national basis, national to start off with, make it relevant, make it meaningful, make it make it make sense. And yes, it can still be a single entity. Yes, it can still be promotion and relegation. But structure in a way where it's going it's going to entice people to watch watch this product, watch these games, watch these teams. Yeah, to your point, uh, and this will be my last point on this, that uh, there was a, a period during COVID where Korean baseball was picked up by ESPN, the Korean League, and became very popular for a hot moment in the U.S. But once MLB reasserted itself when the normal season non-COVID affected, uh, that that constituency went away. So uh, I, I had thought for, for some time in the back of my head, well, you know, maybe there is a market for competing. American football is an American sport. It's part of, in my opinion, American exceptionalism. No one cares about it outside the U.S. But I thought I had thought in the back of my head for years, maybe there would be competing baseball or uh, basketball leagues that maybe penetrate the U.S. market because uh, we know a lot of the players, a lot of them played in college here, uh, but it didn't happen, right? It happened for a hot moment during COVID. Uh, the Korean and the Japanese leagues would be the only two baseball leagues that could compete with the uh, with MLB, and it didn't happen. So MLS is in a completely different world, like a completely different global marketplace than other American team sports, and they seem, or at least maybe they don't realize, uh, maybe it's not on them, maybe it's on the M- a lot of MLS fans don't seem to acknowledge that or recognize that. Yeah, last point for me too, Kartik. I think it's interesting because, I mean, there is, uh, in, in the United States, we've talked about how the fan base uh, for soccer in general is very fractured, right? You've got Premier League fans, you've got NW, uh, women's soccer fans, MLS fans, and sometimes those don't overlap. Sometimes they're in their different circles. Uh, sometimes there is overlap. I think within MLS, within the bubble of MLS for soccer fans, that's been fractured by MLS season pass. Because for the first time in a long time, I've seen a lot of, you mean, questions or really pe- people upset about this way this is structured. So that is interesting. So so MLS is at risk of actually losing its hardcore base because it's not giving them an opportunity to watch mu- much MLS soccer each week. You mean maybe maybe they watch a couple of hours on the Saturday nights and maybe there's one game on a Sunday, but that's it. So to ask for a ninety nine dollar subscription for a year to see maybe four hours of soccer a week is that enough you mean so there's there's a lot of pros and cons about the way the 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 season is structured and mls has to have a really deep think about what they want to what they want to be really you mean because 
Oh, Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to make one last point, which I neglected to mention earlier, uh, and I, I apologize for this, is that um, the $99 price point or 79 if you're an Apple subscriber, uh, WNBA, which, Chris, you and I have talked about this for years, has kind of ascendant ratings and similar numbers on national television to MLS. They just announced $25 a year season pass on YouTube TV. So... I, again, you know, the price point is, is way off. That, that, and uh, the, the leagues they are competing with for domestic market share are undercutting them. So that's a real, real problem. That's why you have to go free trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is a mess because Apple, well, more so, Major League Soccer has invested a huge amount of, amount of money in creating this. The, all the production, all of the studios, all of the talent. There's well, almost 100 people in talent. They have invested a huge amount of energy in into this, and if it's not working, I mean, there are there are concerns, there are issues. Uh, yes, it's a ten year deal, and Apple is offering two hundred and fifty million dollars a year, um, but there are incentives built into that too. So if MLS season pass exceeds certain numbers of subscriptions, then there's an opportunity for MLS uh, uh, to actually make more money off this TV rights deal. I think for Apple, I think Apple's probably pretty complacent for the most most part. They're like, hey, it's a 10-year deal. We'll work it out. We'll kind of make some improvements. Um, we're in it for the long term. But they are really looking at this as more of a blueprint for uh, to sell this to other leagues, to say, hey, we took Major League Soccer. We made it global. No blackouts. MLS uh, whip around show. We did all this great technology. Look at how great this platform is, which which I think other leagues would look at it and go, yeah, this is a really interesting platform. Now, MLS behind the scenes would probably look at this and go like, holy cow, we've lost our TV audience. I mean, other than Fox, but you know, most people do not like Fox's coverage and we are losing our audience. We're not making as much money as we anticipated. What do we do? All right, Kartik, let's move on, actually. We're going to skip over the TV streaming section. <laughs> Some really good discussion there, so good stuff there. Uh, but let's move on to listener mailbag. First up to talk about the U.S. Soccer Federation is Dave. Dave says, uh, enjoyable discussion with a knowledgeable guest last week, uh, Bob Williams uh, from The Sun and The Telegraph and uh, Sport Business. Uh, Dave says, my f- favorite comment from Bob was regarding the Onoweu, Oguchi Onoweu hire. USSF has so many different executives, hard to understand what they all do. Uh, I would be interested to hear more from Kartik uh, about Oguchi uh, Onoweu. Uh, my concern is similar to Bob's in whether this means Crocker will not me- meaningfully change the culture. One of USSF's biggest problems has been the friends and family, family mindset. Set. I wonder if Aguchi uh, Onoeu is sufficiently distanced from the sources of that. Um, I, I, Bob Williams, a former colleague of mine, I, I agree with him on most things, and I agree with him again on this. Uh, this I, I listened to your podcast the other day. He, I think, Onoeu is that protective band aid layer that U.S. soccer often employs with a former player or someone who's part of the system who shares the same agency, which he does, by the way, uh, as uh, many of the other important players, in, uh, by, by players, I mean uh, individuals, uh, in U.S. soccer, in the USSF hierarchy, to prevent meaningful change. So we've, been, we've had this Crocker moment before. When Jurgen Klinsmann came in, we thought that was a... A, a point where there would be some uh, meaningful change. There was not. We've. Uh, uh, I, I can tell you, Bob Bradley, who, by the way, has a different agent than all of these people I'm talking about, uh, is represented, uh, has different representation, uh, pushed very hard internally uh, for changes. Now we're going, how long ago was Bob the coach? 15 years ago. He ends up getting fired in the end. Um, there was a, a point of, uh, and I know he's not everyone's favorite person right now, there was a point where Claudio Reyna came in as the technical director, pushed for changes within the system. Here's a famous former player, not able to accomplish it. He leaves. He leaves in frustration, goes to uh, uh, back to Man City, who was a club he had played for in his playing career. They put him in New York eventually. Uh, this has happened time and again with U.S. soccer. Crocker on paper is a really good hire, although, again, I think Dan Ashworth was really the driving force at the FA in that period. But Crocker, a disciple and, and you know clearly a, a really high-end guy. 
I, I don't think he's going to be able to pull it off. I, and that's just maybe my pessimism. Maybe things have changed. Uh, most of this stuff happened when uh, uh, Sunil Gulati was the was the president. Now maybe uh, Cindy Cohn has a different attitude. Although I tend to believe it's more of the same. All right. Next up is uh, Steve Marshall. Steve says, I found Chris's conversation with Bob Williams informative. And while I think you both made good points about Burnley, still, there was one thing I found frustrating. You mentioned that J.J. Watt and his wife were investing in the club, but failed to mention that his wife is uh, Kalia Watt, who is an eight year uh, veteran of the NWSL and earned U.S. Uh, women's national team caps. While JJ's celebrity and stature as a professional athlete is bigger than uh, Keeley's, uh, her experience is very relevant and deserved more, uh, but both acknowledgement and further discussion. On a unrelated note to that, as usual, I agree with many of Mailbag's comments about MLS, but I think there is one silver lining about the ridiculous playoff expansion. It makes US Cup uh, matches more meaningful. I attended a Chicago Fire US Open Cup match and the atmosphere was far more electric than opening night. Granted, there were a few mitigating factors. It was held in the the Fire's uh, smaller, former home ground in Bridgeview for a more intimate setting. Uh, It was the first match against St. Louis F's uh, City and the weather was better than usual. But it was also a Tuesday night round of 32 match before the Fire played City in a regular season match on Saturday, and all tickets were $30, pricier than some regular season tickets. Maybe it was partly the smaller crowds, but seeing smoke bombs, TIFOs, and the supporters uh, section uh, chanting Queremos la Copa uh, as only one of seemingly a dozen chants in both Spanish and English was much more enthusiasm than any other fire supporter section I've seen in years. Thank you again for all you do. Next up is uh, MLS Season Pass. Uh, Chris Gordino says, I think because of the price point of MLS Season Pass, I wonder if, if it has led to an increase in attendance in MLS this season simply because fans don't want to pay for it. I would think it would... Uh, be because fans would find it easier to attend a game because it's cheaper than paying for a MLS season pass compared to other major leagues in the country. MLS, along with the NWSL, has some of the lowest ticket prices around. Then again, it might not be because of Ticketmaster basically having a monopoly over tickets in Major League Soccer. It's a worrying sign when they are the official ticket partner of Major League Soccer and adding on fees on tickets, making making it unaffordable for the average fan. If this is the case, MLS needs to step in and tell Ticketmaster to stop ripping off fans with those extra fees because otherwise MLS clubs, even the well-supported ones like uh, Atlanta and Seattle, will start to feel the financial effects of lowered attendance at games. Kevin says, uh, my name is Kevin Cordoba, huge soccer fan that was listening to your podcast. Recently read your article on how Apple has an opt-out clause. If the number of subscriptions has not been met, do you think MLS should be concerned about this? At the end of the day, this is a business and I haven't seen any numbers in regards to viewership. Please let me know and thanks. So Kevin, on that one, I, I think I think Apple, I mean, I, I th- again, I think they're using this as a blueprint. They're not going to pull the plug um now mls might <laughs> mls might say you know what this has been great uh but we need to figure out a way to get this this show this mls 360 show or mls games uh we need to figure out a way to, for more people to be watching this to to get this out into the open war um i mean they may be thinking okay hey what's what's our plan b here but i think apple apple's pretty complacent i think they're pretty laid back they, they have tons of money uh, and again, I think they have bigger goals in mind. Uh, Clark says, uh, thank you, Christopher and Kartik, for all you do. I, c- I consider World Soccer Talk a staple for my soccer news, and I appreciate your coverage. You aired a lot of feedback about MLS Season Pass for a while now, and the most this most recent episode summed up the range and sentiment. I think I may have more of a positive take than most um, subscribers. I agree with everyone that MLS Season Pass is not as accessible as it, as it could be. Adding an additional cost on top of what you're already paying for the streaming channel, uh, Apple TV Plus, uh, is placing an additional barrier. I waited until the week of match day one to subscribe to Apple TV Plus altogether since I really don't care much about streaming any other any of the other shows as Apple TV plus isn't the most common streaming platform, etc. 
Um, this is definitely a diehard fan option, which probably isn't the best path moving forward for Major League Soccer at this time. I think the platform itself is great. If you watched matches every Saturday, you can see how quickly MLS and Apple were adapting to fan feedback. I think MLS 360 is a great idea, although I would love to be able to easily navigate between games using that feature. Maybe that would be an offering in the future. I see the pros and cons of all games on Saturday nights uh, compared to the Premier League or Serie A style throughout the week. Sitting down to MLS 360 and watching one or two games all the way through on Saturday nights is a lot of fun. But I would love to watch more live throughout the week. I do understand, though, that this schedule has nothing to do with MLS Season Pass. Uh, it's more about catering to local fan bases, which I do think is the most important. Plus, with MLS Season Pass, you can always go back and watch old games. What I really don't understand is why commenters uh, seem to continually lament the fact that there is no option for a cheaper plan for your individual team. When has this ever been an option on any sports streaming platform? If that has been the case, I've missed it. Yeah, and Kartik, and that's something, too, uh, that we, we're hearing still, right, more and more in the last f- couple of weeks, especially, is people just saying, like, hey, all I want to do is to be able to subscribe to DC United or whichever team it is in MLS, that one team. I just want to watch those games, pay less money, and not have to pay, you mean, $99 a year or $15 a month uh, to have access to all those other games. <laughs> this is a tough one, right? I, we, we've talked about this before, and you had a great point, Kartik, where you were like, yeah, that's the way it should be. If you're a fan of a local team, you should be supporting that team and not really caring about those other teams or not watching those other teams. And yeah, if you want to, you can. But how does MLS get through this, Kartik? I, I, I mean, obviously, there must not be a large... Well, we know from the TV numbers, there must not be a large neutral national fan base but it needs one right yeah and i've been told since we started expressing those sentiments on the podcast by multiple people connected with teams in mls not necessarily uh, at the league office that uh they their understanding is mls will never allow that as a league that these individual team packages and, and hey, you make sense, but you're barking up the wrong tree because the whole idea of this is to build a unified uh, interest in the league as a whole, which I've said to them is uh, antithetical to soccer fandom. Now, it may be the way think people are in NFL, NBA, uh, and even I'll admit this as a college sports fan. I I, uh, I watch the ACC and I don't watch other conferences. I mean, I came into the NCAA basketball tournament this year asking questions to p- people who would know about all of Miami's opponents because I didn't know anything about the Big Ten or, or, or the Big 12, the conferences they were playing teams from. But um, that is an American sports thing. That is not a soccer slash global football fan thing. You tend to follow your club. You're very passionate about your club. Your club is a backbone of your community. It's a very different culture. But I've been told, uh, Chris, uh, by multiple people, MLS will not let it happen. That is not, uh, they would not have done this Apple deal if that was the intention. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, mean, by doing that, if they did decide to do that, that would undermine I mean, the whole concept of MLS Season Pass in, in general, where you, you get everything, right? No black, blackouts, you get access to all the games. Um, it's tough. It's really tough because you look at the Premier League, right? And you look at, uh, I mean, I, I'm a fan since childhood of Swansea City. So when Swansea City was in the Premier League, obviously I'd watch every single Swansea City game in the Premier League. But then I'd watch the other games too because I was interested in different storylines or wanted to see different teams or wanted to see certain players. So I would watch the league as a whole. Swansea City gets relegated to the championship. I continue to watch them in the championship. But however, I still watch the Premier League and still watch, I mean, as many games as I can because I'm entertained. So it does come, well, I don't know. I mean, so I'm, I'm a Swansea City fan through and through, mad passionate fan, but I'm more open to watching other teams. And, and even if it's, even if it's a team I hate, such as Cardiff City, if it's a meaningful game, I'll watch that game. You mean maybe to see them lose or hope that something happens or you know, they get relegated or whatever. There are consequences. Um, Major League Soccer, it, you're right, Kartik. It comes from a base of fans that are used to watching games on regional networks, their local teams. Um, that's the way that they've 
been uh, they, they've grown up watching those games and watching their team and now they're being asked to kind of pay okay hey pay pay more uh so you have access to watch more games uh, all the games from the league but there may not be that interest it yeah app apple i mean major league it's really major league soccer that's in a difficult position apple I, again i don't think is but major league soccer is in a really difficult situation like how do you get people watching games that are not your team when there's better more entertaining you mean a, a coverage and games and, and teams out there and especially when it's at a high price point right it's not cheap so yeah going back to i think you, your comments um a few minutes ago the price the price needs to come down it needs to be more affordable it's you I mean it went out with the 99 dollars a year um i would imagine if you're if you signed up for 99 dollars a year and now you're finding out that you can get a month for free it's like hey you mean shouldn't i get a little bit of a refund for that because you mean i you mean I, yeah there's there's a whole host of different issues all right, listeners, thank you so much for your feedback. Uh, really good feedback again, once again. Uh, if you want to talk to us about any of the topics we discussed today or, or anything else that's on your mind, uh, especially when it comes to broadcasting soccer on TV or streaming or different devices, let us know. We'd love to uh, discuss that on air. There's a few different ways you can reach out to us. Um, first of all, through the website, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, click on the podcast um, button on the th- on the navigation and leave your comment in the um, most recent episode. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and read that out in a future episode. You can email us web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can go to uh, Twitter and tweet us at worldsoccertalk. You can go to facebook.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk. Send us a message there. And I think that oh, oh, voicemail too. And I keep on meaning to play that voicemail we got, which is a really good one. Um, I will do it. I promise this week. Five six one two four seven four six two five. Whew! I think that covers everything. Kartik, where can uh, listeners uh, find additional thoughts and an analysis from you and your team uh, over at uh, Beyond the Ninety? Yeah, beyondthe90.substack.com, uh, which is uh, it's a pay site, but m- most of our content is free. I, quite quite honestly, it's been mostly domestic uh, content is free, uh, content about the Premier League or, or, or Bundesliga or Serie A is behind a paywall. So uh, you can pick your plan accordingly. Uh, heavy on USL, uh, W League, uh, and Super League uh, these last couple days also, uh, per, per our podcast discussion. You can also find me on Twitter at KKFLA7. All right, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And Kartik heading into a midweek of soccer uh, from around the world, Champions League, as well as, of course, the uh, playoffs in England and much, much more. What are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>